everything falls apart. Every Christian doctrine falls apart. Now, the trouble was I got a bit carried away, <coughs> as normal, and I only got to my first point, <coughs> which was, <coughs> if you look at John, John chapter 1, remember I spent quite a long time on it about that the son was in the bosom of the father remember and verse 18 no one has seen God the only God who is in the bosom of the father well who is at the father's side is this translation do you remember I spoke about the actual literal meaning is in the bosom of the Father, which the older translations have. And of course it's a very old-fashioned word, and I've spent a long time on it. Well, a <coughs> uh, week or so after that, I was down in Portsmouth, where we have a flat, and we had the grandchildren who had a sleepover. Now, grandchildren always get up early, but I'm up earlier than the grandchildren. And um, Lois... Um, there was my Bible there, and she, we were talking about what kind of Bible I've got. She asked me, I think, what kind of Bible I've got, and I said it was a, a reference Bible, and explained about having references, and anybody that reads the Bible, I think, should have a reference Bible. It gives you other references to look at. And uh, I, was, I said, look, for example, this verse I've been talking about, uh, preaching the previous week about, you know, the son is in the bosom of the father. He's so close, you can't be any closer. The image is so powerful. And, I, and So I spoke to her about this image. <coughs> so of course she said, Anne of Green Gables. Anne wanted a bosom friend. You see? Twelve-year-old, she knew all about it. A bosom friend. Someone you share all your secrets with. And I got carried away a lot. And I spoke about that a lot. But there are many other things I could have spoken about. You see, in that verse, it says, <coughs> He has made him known. How would we know God if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ? In a redemptive, redemptive sense I'm talking about now. In a personal sense now. I'm not talking about knowing there's a God. Everybody in their heart, the Bible says, knows there's a God. They look up at the stars, and the trillions of stars, we know there's a God, even though they deny it. They know there's a God, but they don't know about him redemptively. They don't know about him personally. And I spoke about what the Lord said to Philip. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, this was just the first of many points I was going to bring to you about if the incarnation goes, the fact that the Lord was man and God, right? If that goes, well, our knowledge of God goes. You see, he came as the prophet. He has made him known. He has explained him. He was the prophet. He explains him. But everything else goes. The Lord Jesus Christ is the priest, the one that brings us to, to God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sacrifice, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator. I was going to speak on these things last time. There is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. You take away the incarnation, no mediator. 
So the, I was trying to sh show you last week, and I, I know <coughs> you're convinced about this, obviously, that it's so important. But I wanted to leave you with a thought last week that it's not just a question of cold facts. Because we sung that, um, that um, um, carol by Kendrick about, <coughs> you know, um, what else can I do? Remember that? Um, uh, how does it start off? That God should come as one of us. I'll never understand. The more I hear the story told, the more amazed I am. Oh, what else can I do but kneel and worship you? Now today, subject is the scriptural evidence of the Incarnation. And it's so easy to lose that sense of worship. I'm going to give you a sheet today. I have spent hours on this sheet. Right. And you're going to take this sheet away and I pray that you do what Spurgeon used to ask people to do. He asked them to be hens and sit on the egg. You know, an egg, an egg is no good unless it's sat on by the hen. Do you know, scriptures are no good unless we meditate on them. Sermons are no good unless we meditate on it, think about it. So I'm going to give you a detailed sheet. I'm going to do it in a few minutes. I'm not going to do it straight away. And you're going to take this sheet away. And I've got eight approaches and evidences from the scriptures that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, the Incarnation. But I'm going to do one or two things before I do that. And this is very important now, what I'm going to say. It's, why am I going to argue, think, preach like I am from the Scriptures? Because that's my authority. I've got no other authority. Now, there are other authorities all the time which people use in religious matters. There's the question of tradition. Oh, it's always been done this way. Or the Roman Catholic Church actually, well, <coughs> uses tradition to bring all kinds of things into, into religious things. It's based on tradition. Well, the Lord said this, you make the word of God of none effect, no effect because of your tradition. You see, and the context was this. They had money and they should have been supporting their parents but they said because it's tradition oh no that's for god that's korban that's a gift for god you see tradition was wrong and the lord said you're making the word of god of none effect because of your tradition on the other hand there can be good traditions paul in um, in 2 thessalonians chapter 2 he speaks about Stand fast in the traditions that you've been taught. And he's talking about the gospel traditions. Gospel. So they're a good tradition. But we don't argue from tradition. We argue from the scriptures. Nor do we argue um, from reason. Now I, I mentioned this last week and this is so important. You know, we don't say, well, this is what we think because it's reasonable. No, is it in the scriptures? Not, is it reasonable? Ah, we use our reason. 
We use our reason to think about the scriptures, to compare scripture with scripture, to, to look at the context. Yet God's given us a reason, he's given us a mind, and we're to use it. But we do not use it independently. We do not say, ah, oh, because of my reason, now I can, I can think what I like. No. If we do that, we go down the, ro the road of modern thought, and you end up complete irreason or irrationality. For the technical word is postmodernism, when there isn't any truth. And your truth might say one thing, and somebody else says another, we haven't got the foggiest. That's the modern position about reason. But you see, we use reason. Of course we do, but on the scriptures. We put our reason under the scriptures. Let me illustrate. This is so important, this. And particularly this matter about the incarnation, which is not understandable. You cannot argue with somebody and say this is understandable. Of course it's not understandable. I said about my friend in Germany, who's a great open-air man, Samuel. Often, when he's speaking to Muslims, they say to him, this is stupid. God being a man, it's irrational. And his approach is to say this, well, <coughs> can your God do anything? Do, your, God, do you believe that your God's all-powerful? And of course they say, yes. Well, is your God all-powerful? Is he? Well, he can do this, can't he? God can do the impossible. God can do what seems completely irrational to us. And God can become a baby. And in God can be a baby, and yet he can be ruling the universe. God can be living as a man, yet he can be upholding the whole universe. Why? Because God can. Because God is God. And we must get that into our heads. So we've got these clever clogs. You know these clever clogs, the Sadducees. We're going to trick him, we're going to get him. Now, <coughs> Sadducees really didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't really believe in spirits. So they come along to the Lord and they say, look, there was this man and he married a wife <coughs> and she, um, he died. Um, so, of course, his brother, in, in, in the Old Testament, his brother had to take the wife as his wife and raise up children to carry on the line. Well, he died. Well, of course, someone else had to marry her then. And he died. And seven times it goes on. And then the crunch question, well, in heaven, whose husband is she, is she going to have? And what does the Lord say in that scenario? And you know, it's one of the most important passages in scriptures for you and me. He says, you are uh, because you do not know the scriptures. And by that, he didn't mean that they couldn't recite it. They could probably recite the scriptures. He meant they did not understand them. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God. They're the two issues with us. The incarnation, it's taught clearly. I'm going to give you a handout in a minute and there's lots and lots of verses where it's taught. But also, 
We believe it because the scripture says it, but also because of the power of God. God can do it. So later on, when we talk about the virgin birth, in weeks to come, when I carry on my series, we've got the power of God. The power of God will overshadow you, says Gabriel, doesn't he? We've got the power. It's the power of God. So there are two fundamental issues. So it's, we go from the scriptures, fundamentally, not from tradition, not from reason, and I'm going to mention one more thing. Not from experience. Not that we don't have experiences. Right? But if you come to me and say, look, Nigel, I've had an experience and I know now something, well, I'll check this. I'll go back to this. I'll go back to the scriptures. Um, in this whole matter of the incarnation, by the way, in the 19th century, one very leading man did have a vision. So, you know, I'm sorry, says, I'm, I'm leaving that aside, where he says that convinced him. Well, to me, that's not good enough. You don't have to have a vision to be convinced about the incarnation. You have to believe the scriptures. Because you could have a vision on the opposite, couldn't you? When we were in Ireland, we went to one of them, we were going along the road and we came to, was it Knock, Janice, Knock? Oh, and we, we turned in there, and that's a famous place where um, uh, uh, um, three people had a vision of, of, of Mary and of, of Joseph and of the, uh, John who, well, but because I had a vision, would I believe it? Millions do. Two popes have gone there and blessed it and all the rest of it. No, no, I believe the scriptures. And people in the scriptures have had experiences, and I believe them. Paul, on the way to Damascus, met the Lord. Why do I believe it? Because it's in the scriptures. Stephen, when he was being killed and stoned, he saw the Lord at the right hand, didn't he? Had an experience before he died, didn't he? Had a vision. Why do I believe it? Because it's in the scriptures. What about John on the Isle of Pot um, Patmos? He saw the Lord in the most remarkable way, didn't he? That vision of the Lord he had. Why do I believe it? Because it's in the scriptures. Because it's in the scriptures. So, the scriptures, not tradition, although we think about what's been said in the past, we do, and about this matter of the incarnation, I'm going to talk to you in the future about some of the controversies there's been. Yeah, it's important to know these things. But it's the scriptures. Reason? No, we, have, we use our reason, but we don't go purely from reason. Of course we don't. And what about experience? Well, if it's in the scriptures, if it's in the scriptures, that's the key thing. And I'm not... I'm not Decrying personal experience at all. Personal experience is impossible. But it's not something in doctrinal matters that we can argue from. In fact, that we should argue from. We argue on what we believe from the scriptures. From the scriptures. Just one more thing before I give out my... Um, talk about my handout with you. And this is what I was talking with the children. You know, I went to bed last night and Janice asked me how I was and I talked about this matter too. And it isn't a problem. This matter, the incarnation, is fundamental. It's not something for one day of the year, folks. 
It runs all throughout the scriptures. It's fundamental. It's foundational. But it does not save. Now get that in your head, folks. This is so vital. In the 19th century, a group of theologians arose who said, ah, <clears throat> the incarnation means that we are saved and that we are right with God. It does not. It's foundational. Without the incarnation, there can be no salvation. There can be no Lamb of God without the incarnation who takes away the sin of the world. But you see, there must be atonement. There must be personal belief. There must be personal repentance. Are you with me? And it's so easy to forget that. I think this wise by, I'm not going to talk much about, in this series I'm not going to talk much about Christmas at all. But you know, I think this is one of the reasons why Christmas is so, so popular, you know. In, amongst non-believers. Amongst non-believers. I think one of the reasons is because you have the baby without atonement. And we love a baby. Everybody loves a baby. A baby's not going to hurt you at all. But the living Lord of the universe who's going to judge you, who's going to, you're going to stand before, that's another matter. And the incarnation is fundamental but we need the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world and we need to respond to that. Right, let me give my little thing up. I wonder if we could have a couple on that side. And a couple on. John, can you just give these up? It's going to be a bit different for the next few minutes. So scriptural evidence for the incarnation. The word became flesh. Now the trouble is, when you give a handout, I, I used to notice in teaching, it's fatal. The rest of the, you give a handout at the end, not the beginning. But I'm doing this, I'm just going to run through it and mention one or two things. First of all, we've got direct statements. Direct statements. The word became flesh. Very, very direct statements. Um, which we read in, in John ourselves. The word became flesh. Hebrews, a body you have prepared for me. There's a reference. Um, Galatians, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Um, Philippians, being made in the likeness of men. Paul's letter to Timothy. Look, so you've got lots of references. I've, I've, I got so fed up with writing references, I actually put a whole string of them down there. There are direct statements um, about the, the Lord being God. 
The one I particularly like is Col Colossians 2.9. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I think that's so clear. Can't understand it? Not a point. I've got to understand it, in a sense. I've just got to believe it, trust it. You see, direct statements. And of course, people always kind of try and get round these statements. So if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you'll say, oh, it doesn't mean, um, you know, and they'll try and get round it. But as far as I'm concerned, the direct statements are there. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. What more can we want than that, in a sense? So go away, please, and meditate on those. Be like a chicken and an egg. Think about them. Look at the context. Now, secondly, passages. Because, you know, I think it's important to have not just bits of verses, which are clear, but to have passages. And I'll put the first one, John, the whole of the Gospel of John. Now, John was writing to show people that the Son of God was God. That's why he was writing. Matthew was writing to show that the Lord Jesus Christ was the King. Mark was writing to show that he was the servant. Luke was writing to show that he was the man. And so they chose their material in relationship to that, you see. So, study John. But also there's these passages. and um, Philippians, Hebrews, and of course... Um, and we're going to read the, let's just read that, we've got time this morning, just to read the one in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. So turn to that in your, in your Bible and we'll just read that one. But there's, there's several there I want you to go away and think about. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought, who, though he was in the form of God, that's a clear statement, isn't it? Did not count equality with God to be grasped, to be, hang on to it, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Well, what a passage that is, folks. Well, go away, meditate about it. It clearly teaches the Lord Jesus Christ is God who humbled himself, who emptied himself and became a man. Um, I've got down in the, in Matthew, I've got Matthew and Luke there, chapters 1 and 2, the virgin conception and, and the birth and songs. And Well, we'll deal with that separately. I'm going to have a separate session on that. And I've got John, Colossians. I like the Colossians one. You study that one. That to me is very clear, the preeminent one. It teaches that he is above all. And then Hebrews chapter 1 is the one to be worshipped. 
He's the one to be worshipped. Well, you don't worship a man. We only worship God. Think of those passages. And then, what about my third point? Called God. In the scriptures, he's clearly called God. And the, um, in John, the word was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's no good people saying, oh, the word was a God. You can't have it. He's either God or he's not God. It's, not, it's God. The word was God. And what about the second one? What about Thomas? What about, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers in, into the wounds, into his side. I'm not going to believe. Thomas, stretch forth your hand. That's a week later. Stretch forth your hand, Thomas. What does he say? My Lord and my God. What could be clearer than that, folks? What could be clearer? And then what about um, Hebrews 1 there? Hebrews 1.8 Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And that's quoted concerning the Son. Check it up and look, you will do that, I'm sure. And one in Peter there in Romans, well, you've got lots of verses there to look at where the Lord Jesus Christ is called God. Look at the, the fourth one, Lord. So why do we say the Lord Jesus Christ? See, I've got a bit of a beer in my bonnet about this. I don't know whether you have. You know, you know I've got lots of bees in my bonnet, lots of things, really. But I don't like people just talking about Jesus this and Jesus that. Because he is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord. Now what does Lord mean? It means the sovereign. The sovereign one. He is the Lord. Now sometimes in the New Testament Lord is used as a kind of like we'd say Sir. In the Gospel sometimes it's used like that perhaps. But majority of times it, when it's his name it's used in this um, Lord sense of being the Lord. The Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And um, I've got some scriptures there to look at. But look under confession of faith. Let's look at Romans. Let's look at that. You, you probably know this one by heart. But I'll say this is your homework to look at these yourselves. Look at the one in Romans. Romans. And I've got confession of faith. When we make a confession, what do we do? I'm not talking about a, a confession of faith now that the church has. I'm talking about what I say and what you say in our hearts and what you've done this morning before you've come. Because if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see... No one can be a Christian unless they bow down to the Lord and be Thomas and say, my Lord and my God. That's what we confess. And I've got other scriptures there on that matter. In fact, look at the one in, in 2, in two um, Corinthians 4, 5. Well, you need to look at it because it's, it's down at the end. I've got it at the end of 4 as well. Can you see it says, um, we preach Jesus as Lord. We used to have that in the assembly I was in at Biggleswade. We used to have that on the board outside on Sundays. It says this, we do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus as 
Lord. Of course, he is the Lord. And um, I've got lots of little things there about him as being Lord. He's at the right hand. He's the Lord of glory. You pray to him. Say pray to him. Well, you pray to him as Lord because he is Lord. He's God. Don't pray to a man. And he knows all things. Do you, do you, do you remember Peter? Do you remember Peter? Um, when in resurrection and uh, Peter do you love me do you really love me Peter and what did Peter end up by saying Lord you know all things you don't say that to a man do you husbands and wives don't know anything about do they do we but he does he's the Lord is a Lord. Okay, sorry, I'm getting, I mustn't do this. Next one is identity with Jehovah Yahweh Lord. Now, I've got to explain this very, very quickly. If you look at Isaiah 45, um, Isaiah 45, I've got to explain this because this is something which I'm, I'm afraid our Bibles are not very good at. So, 45.23 Right, now we just read this in Philippians because it, it's quoted in Philippians verse 23 of Isaiah 43 By myself I have sworn and from my mouth my, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me every knee shall bow every tongue shall swear allegiance we've just read this is what the Lord Jesus Christ the said of the Lord Jesus Christ but go on verse 20, uh, 24 only in the and it's capitalised Lord isn't it in our translation here agreed well that word comes over I think 6,000 times is it? I don't know, many many times in the Old Testament and it's the word that it used to be people say is Jehovah or the modern way of doing it is Yahweh have you heard all about this folks? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? right so Bibles often have capitalised that now I wish they hadn't I wish they would put Yahweh or Jehovah because go to Exodus go to Exodus 6 and I think a lot of difficulties would have been done away with if it had done it, you know. Um, um, so verse, um, verse 2 of Exodus 6. So this is the Lord speaking to Moses. Right? God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. Here it's capitalised. In the AV, if anybody, uh, anybody's got an AV this morning, it has Jehovah in. They actually put Jehovah. One of the few places they do actually put the name of God, the personal name of God. You know, there's different names of God. Elohim, he's the creator. Uh, Adonai, the Hebrew word Adonai means Lord. Uh, Jehovah, or, or Yahweh it's, um, it depends how you put the, the vowels in you see that's why you've got two different things there it's the 
the name meaning the everlasting one. It's from the verb to be, the one that was, the one that is, the one that shall be. The I am. It's the same as the I am. Do you remember the Lord? We come on to that, the, the I am. So you see, he, he is identified with Jehovah, with Yahweh. Right. Um, so if you look at those passages, in that, look under identity, identity with Jehovah, you'll see that there's passages in the New Testament, if you look up the brackets, you'll see it comes from the Old Testament. You'll see it's about Jehovah. What is said about Jehovah is said of Jesus. Now that's one of the greatest evidences to me about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the designations. Under designations there are five, I've got uh, the I am. And I'll just deal with one of these. Um, it, the Lord was all the time saying, I am, I am. Let's just deal with one of these. Look at um, John 8.58. John 8.58. I've not got that down in here. I couldn't, I, I had to get rid of a lot of stuff to get it in. John 8.58. John 8.58. Now, so he's talking... And he says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And in chapter 6 of Exodus, we didn't go on to read it, you'll see that that's how he refers. Moses said, who, who shall I say when I go to the people and say what I've got to say to them? Who shall I say sent me? He says, I am. And it's the same word, really, same um, word as Jehovah, the one that is, the one that always will be, and the one that was. And what's the Lord saying? Before Abraham was, I am. Can you imagine what people thought then? See, he's claiming then to be Jehovah, to be the Lord. Okay, well, I'll let Think about that. Talk to me about that. No, number six, rushing on, Messianic prom um, prophecies. Well, we've got lots of prophecies, haven't we? Um, Isaiah 6 speaks about a child be born. Wonderful. Counselor, eternal father, prince of peace. Well, we, it's very clear, isn't it? These are prophecies. What about Isaiah 53? A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Well, of course. So there's many prophecies that speak about the Messiah. So look at some of them, meditate on them, think about them. And then, what about seven? You know, the acts of Christ, the seventh, the acts of Christ. The Lord says this, the works testify, they witness that the Father has sent me. Acts 22, uh, 22 Peter preaching, a man testified to you by God with miracles, wonders and signs. Do you know the very works of the Lord Jesus Christ? They speak about who he was. Um, and then in John, there are eight signs in John. Look them up. Think about them. John put those signs in to show who he was. Who the, the person that changed the water into wine. The person that fed the 5,000. The person that cured the man um, at a distance. The acts speak about who Christ was. And then last of all, rushing on, the claims of Christ. And I've got C.S. Lewis. Can you see C.S. Lewis there? Mad 
bad Lord. C.S. Lewis says this, you can't say the Lord Jesus Christ was a good man. Do you hear people saying to you, oh yes, perhaps you're witnessing. Perhaps you're saying the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord. And perhaps you're saying, look, I'm, I'm a follower of him, I love him. He's saved me, one day I'm going to be with him. Perhaps you're doing this to a friend. And they say, oh yes, yes sir. Yeah, I, I believe Jesus was a good man. Rubbish, Satan. How could a good man lie? The Lord Jesus Christ. It is not true. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If it's not true, it's a terrible lie. You say to your friend, look, he can't be a good man if you don't believe this. He must be a liar. Or, or, and what C.S. Lewis says here, there are many people in mental asylums today who claim to be the son of God and are mentally ill. So do you believe that Christ was mentally ill, say? And then, no, 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 no. It does make you think about these claims, you see. And I put particularly those claims of relationship to the Father. What man would say, look, if you've seen me, if you know me, you know God. If I stood up here this morning and I said, look, if you listen to me, you're, you listen to God, or if you know me, you know God, you'd be phone, on the phone very quickly. See, the claims, these remarkable claims, speak about who it, what man would ever say these things. Whatever you ask in my name. That's what he says. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. No man would say that. Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. What man would say that? What about, what about Matthew 5? Now, perhaps you've got a friend you've been witnessing to. And, oh yes, I like, they'd say, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, these lo lovely teaching. But do you not want to say, you want to say this to them? You say, look, this is what the Lord Jesus says. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, what man would say that? But I say to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And I give unto them eternal life. Now come off it, folks. What man would say that? This is what you've got to say to a friend. Look, he's not bad. He's not mad. He's not bad. He is the Lord. He is God. And you, my friend, have got to face up to it. So, the claims of Christ. I put particularly in relationship to his father. Perhaps I made a mistake there. Perhaps I should have mentioned other claims as well. I didn't have much room. room. That's the trouble. But you see, this will do you no good unless you go away and think about it, folks. Unless you meditate on it. And then perhaps it'll warm your heart and it will bring you to personal worship of the Lord Jesus Christ as your not as your saviour and Lord and you'll cry out afresh with Thomas my Lord and my God so really the sermons today is up to you John
Any good from this sermon is in your hands. Do you believe that? Sometimes, you know, strip Baptists, sometimes they can, they cannot believe this. They can kind of, oh well, it's up to God. And they can relieve themselves of all excuse, you see. My friends, any good from today comes from you prepared to sit down with your Bible quietly and meditating on this. Please do it. I urge you, please do it. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.